Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through His Word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com. So this morning, as I think it's the last chapter in our trellis series, uh, we're, we're going to talk about thanksgiving and gratitude this morning. So let me invite you to stand. We're going to look at a great narrative uh, out of Luke's Gospel. Chapter 17, if you have your Bible or, or Bible device handy, beginning at verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten men with a skin disease approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, just by way of quick background, if, if you're a leper in first century Israel, uh, you cannot live among people. You cannot meet with your family. You cannot meet with your friends. You cannot go to the market. Uh, you cannot offer tithes and offerings because your money is unclean. Everything about you segregates you from the culture that birthed you. Uh, so now your, your new fellowship is a fellowship of lepers, which is why a Jew and a Samaritan can be together in a common disease, because the only thing that allows you to be and have a human touch is if you fellowship, if you live with fellow lepers. So there's these lepers crying out at a distance, and they have to be at a distance because if they are within 10 feet, they make everybody around them unclean. So they uh, have a social responsibility to segregate themselves. So Lord, have mercy on us. And when Jesus saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, were not ten made clean, so where are the other nine? Did none of them return to give glory to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Fathers, we visit about Thanksgiving, the activity of Thanksgiving this morning, I pray in Jesus' name that your spirit would be tangibly amongst us. Lord, that each of us uh, would feel the tangible weight of your presence, that we, regardless of what words I say or perhaps in the worship that began and the worship that follows, Father, in Jesus' name, that, that you would pastor us as you touch every life here with your Holy Spirit. We pray that you'd open our hearts, that you would open our minds, that we might increasingly take on the mind of Christ. And we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a seat. So, so let's quickly uh, begin by looking at this passage together because... It represents a case study in gratitude. And the first thing that we knows, notice is, is that um, Jesus recognizes thanksgiving. 
The fact that this Samaritan returned and gave him thanks was important to Jesus. It, it, he doesn't see it as perfunctory. He doesn't see it as, well, what else would you expect I do? Um, this man returning is not an interruption to Jesus. It, it's, it's a welcome encounter. It's an encounter that brings Jesus delight. Second thing is Jesus gave thanks, and he expects that we will too. Um, in the notes that Benji was circulating um, around this morning's message, he identified four times that Jesus is recorded as giving thanks. The first is when he thanks God that the revelation of the gospel was, was towards and for the poor and weary. Uh, in Matthew 11, he gives thanks for the food he had the opportunity to distribute and the multiplication of the fishes and the loaves in Mark 8. He gave thanks for the opportunity to raise the dead, to demonstrate that God hears, cares, and can even do the miraculous in our lives in John 11. And then he gave thanks on the Passover, commemorating this moment as the dawn of a new covenant in Luke 22. Thanksgiving is important to Jesus. Third, Thanksgiving is the theology of wonder and surprise expressed. It's like, this guy is surprised. He's, they're, he, they're walking away lepers, and somewhere along the way, the signs and the evidence of their leprosy disappears. And so somewhere there, there's, there's this OMG moment in which they look at their skin, whose appearance they had taken for granted, and it's like, oh my God, it's not there anymore. And I, I like to imagine that the drama in the Gospels, and so I, I actually imagine these guys stripping down because at some point they're covered because theoretically the flakiness of the skin was deemed in those years as contagious. So I could see them walking and looking at their hands, and, and who, who, who notices first? I don't know. But someone notices that their hands look normal for the first time in months or years or possibly decades. And then I can imagine them going, my hands, my hands, look at my hands. And then they start rolling up their, their togas, taking off their outer garments, examining their bodies. I mean, it is a huge OMG moment. And then one returns. And I often wonder why. Why did the Samaritan return? And I think it's because he couldn't go to the priest, because he's a Samaritan, not a Jew. Uh, being a Samaritan in that world, in that century, at that time, was like being an African-American in the post-Civil War South. The, the prejudice, the hostility, the separation permeated every facet of your life, and so I wonder if it was because this Samaritan didn't have anyone else to go show himself to, so why not go show himself to the one who healed him? But at some point, Thanksgiving is, is an active theology of wonder and surprise for the remarkable that's happened in our lives. It's, it's spontaneous. It, it needs to be expressed. C.K. Chesterton says this, I would maintain that thanks are the highest form of thought and that gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. I love that. 
Gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. The worst moment for an atheist is when he or she is really thankful and has no one to thank. <laughs> it's kind of like God's sense of humor. <laughs> so let me ask you a question this morning. If our minds and hearts do not automatically turn to God with gratitude, we must ask, why are we silent? Who are we thanking or thinking of if our thoughts do not first rise to God? And then finally, thanksgiving and gratitude is the expression of unentitled hearts. The one who returned was the Samaritan. Perhaps, we don't know for sure, perhaps ultimately the nine others thought they were entitled to their healing. We're for the Samaritan as a, recognizing who he was and where he came from and how he was viewed, never felt entitled to be healed by a Jewish rabbi in the first place. So if those are four things that we can take away from this passage, I want to take the rest of our time this morning to talk about what Thanksgiving is and what Thanksgiving is not, or what the activity of Thanksgiving is and what it is not. Um, because I find myself at this season very aware of, of things that might threaten to smother our holiday mood, but for me, they make me all the more grateful. Uh, there's 34 violent conflicts going on around the world. Uh, one in, the one in Ukraine and the one in Israel uh, impact me personally. Uh, I've been involved in Ukraine for the last 20 plus years with um, orphan ministries there. And then being Jewish, I have a bias, I confess. And, um, and I know women and men that are in Israel and in Gaza. Uh, the largest Christian body in the Middle East is in Gaza and the West Bank. So however we think and whatever our biases must be, uh, we have brothers and sisters uh, in Gaza and the West Bank uh, that are suffering. Um, uh, war war is, is predictably unjust and unfair uh, to all victims. But that impacts me. It, it distracts me. I, I care about safety, and each day I'm checking in and sending texts uh, to those I love. Uh, I share with you about uh, my two spiritual dads who uh, won't be on this um, earthly coil for long. Uh, I've, been, I've attended three memorial services, one tragic, in the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, I've been speaking with pastors in my role uh, who are contending for their own mental health or for the health and mental health of their children. Uh, it's in one hand, and honestly, for some reason, uh, I've been dealing with my own sense of mortality of, of will I have the health, strength, vitality, energy, energy and clarity of mind uh, to continue to engage in a ministry and vision that I believe God has given me, but wonder if I will have the energy to see it through because I realize that most women and men who have that calling and have that vision don't realize it before their death, even Jesus. I mean, think about Jesus. He had people like the rich young ruler that he longed to follow him, and he said no, and Jesus regretted that answer. Or, or close to the day of his crucifixion, he's looking out over the city of, Bethlehem, of Jerusalem, 
and he says how I would long to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you would not come. So we even see Jesus, you know, before his death, yearning for something that he could yet realize uh, before the cross. And so I find those thoughts uh, percolating through my mind and heart during the season. And because of all those things, ironically, or paradoxically, I'm more expectant this Thanksgiving than ever. So here's some thoughts. First, on what Thanksgiving is not. First, Thanksgiving is not synonymous relief. Relief is the reassurance um, and rest that, that comes to us when something that we've been longing for or working hard for is realized. It can be the relief we have after an exam. It could be the relief Pastor Brian got after a year plus of trying to get his license from, from our denomination, and he passed his interview and, and got his life. I mean, maybe it's that kind of relief, but, but relief is not Thanksgiving. It's, it's just the removal of stress. Uh, second thing, relief is not an exercise in comparative, re I'm sorry, Thanksgiving is not an exercise in comparative awareness. I suppose this is a form of relief, but this is like when something's not going right in your life and, and, and circumstances aren't great and you find yourself saying, well, at least I should be grateful because at least bombs aren't falling on my house or everyone I love is healthy. We start these kind of comparisons, but, but, but that's not Thanksgiving because ultimately what we're doing is we're invalidating things that are significant to us that are bothering us. And so that kind of comparative awareness might set things contextually, but that's not really a form of thanksgiving. Uh, thanksgiving cannot be the prisoner of circumstance, which ultimately makes thanksgiving transactional. So, so we, thanksgiving can't just be because we enjoy good fortune, good friendships. Uh, I've got no reason for sadness in my circumstances right now. But that means that I only give thanks when things are good. And at that point, Thanksgiving is a transactional and it's not relational. Then Thanksgiving cannot be self-centered because by its very nature, it's externally focused. It must see the source of our blessing outside of ourselves. Therefore, Thanksgiving, which is self-centered, can be nothing more than the delusions of a self-satisfied self soul and nothing more than vain self-congratulation. That kind of thanksgiving is really an expression of our entitlement to the result because I did what I was meant to do. It's a product of my hard work. Um, I'm thinking of like the Pharisee in Jesus' parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector uh, when that character in that story says, thank you, God, that I am not like other people, like that tax collector there. Uh, that's, that's not thanksgiving, that's just self-congratulation. Finally, thanksgiving is not individualistic. While the occasion of our thanksgiving may be personal, I don't believe it's meant to be private. Thanksgiving is meant to be shared. This doesn't require us to be fully transparent if it's something that's very personal to us, but the cause and the opportunity to give thanks in an assembly will strengthen the community. Communal thanksgiving can also serve as a reality check to my soul 
because when other people are giving thanks in a community, am I only listening with begrudging awareness because crassly, I did not get mine. And so that, that's not Thanksgiving either. So what is the activity of Thanksgiving? First, the activity of Thanksgiving is prayerful reflection. I cannot envision an expression of thanksgiving which is not first a prayerful conversation with God. He fashioned me in love, he redeemed me by his grace, and he sustains me by his presence. In my darkness he abides with me, and in my joys he delights my soul. How can thanksgiving be anything but a conversation with God? And so one of the things that I like to do is to start each day before I get out of bed. I mean, there's one way to start your day and say, thank you, Lord, that I have committed no sin. Um, uh, and then as I get out of bed, would you please be with me the rest of the day? That's not kind of like the right attitude for your day. A better way is to, is to begin just reciting your gratitude for his presence. To recite your gratitude for the people that populate your life. Restart your day with gratitude for whom you might have the opportunity to be a source of thanksgiving with. So God, give me the eyes to see the people I will be with today through your eyes that I might give you a good name and be a reason for people to give thanks to you. Secondly, the activity of thanksgiving is the spiritual remembrance of God's faithfulness. The activity of thanksgiving is a reflective inventory of God's presence amidst the gains we have enjoyed and the losses we have suffered. It's not just a recitation of a list. It's the narrative. It's, it's the story of his abiding presence, his divinity breaking into and abiding with my broken humanity, where he transforms even a mundane and frail life like mine to be so filled and punctuated with meaning that I can echo what Paul says, even my losses become gains. Even my, in my losses, I experience gains. Third, the activity of thanksgiving is communal. We contribute to and share in the portfolio of gratitude expressed within the communities we are members of. Another's thanksgiving becomes my opportunity to give thanks regardless of my circumstances. How many times has one person's shared thanksgiving brought hope to the hopeless or stirred me, flip the page slump there, to give thanks? God's presence is in our midst. Can it be a greater reason for me to give thanks than to witness the testimony of God's presence in the lives of others? Fourth, the activity of thanksgiving is missional. The activity of thanksgiving is ultimately a testimony that brings women, men, youth, and children closer to God. This is the story of people sharing the impact of God's presence in their lives. This is how women and men and youth and children have hearts and minds that will be open to surrendering their lives to Jesus Christ as they hear the testimonies 
of God's presence. So even if you're called out by God, like the woman in John's gospel who is sleeping around and has five husbands, when Jesus calls her out and speaks with her, she starts going throughout the town and village saying, let me introduce you to a man who knows everything about me. When Nathaniel is seen under the tree and Jesus says to him, I saw you, you're a man without guile, he starts telling the story. When Peter and, and, and James and John get called out of the boat, they start telling their story. Thanksgiving is the natural and normative expression of women and men and youth and kids whose lives have been touched by the person, power, and promise of Jesus Christ. That's how people come to faith. It, it's not by a theology nerd explaining theologically the depth of our faith and the beauty of our faith, and I'm kind of more wired that way. It doesn't, faith does not come except by hearing. That's why in Isaiah and, and again in Romans, the quote is, is, is brought forward saying, blessed are the feet of the one who brings the good news. That's why the gospel is called good news. It's, it's a cause for thanksgiving that is shared. That's why this culture war disconnect to where people are afraid of women and men who, 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 who talk about their faith, there's something wrong with that. When a, when a Christian man or woman walks into a room, they should be the source of good news. It, people should go, man, I, I want Brian and Caitlin in the room. I want a Becky in the room. I want a Jillian in the room. They bring joy. There's this great prophetic uh, picture out of Zechariah where it's foretold that the day will come where everyone will want to grab the garment of a Jew. You don't want to grab the clothing of someone that you feel judges you, is hostile towards you, who has the joy so deep they can never get it up. That's not the kind of person that you want to be with. You want to be with women and men and around youth and kids in whom there is a joy unspeakable, a faith unshakable, and a love unconditional. Who else would you want to hang out with? Judge Judy? <laughs> I mean, really, do, do you want to be around a, a person who has nothing but negative things to say about other people? We display the good news of Jesus Christ. We express our surprise and wonder as we share the story of Christ in our lives and in the community we're part of. Because it's not just about us. I think sometimes Christians should see themselves as the greatest networkers because as we meet people, I think about who can be a blessing to that person? I need to connect them with so-and-so. Because in those connections, there'll be opportunities for the expressions of thanksgiving and for people to meet people who will bring and introduce joy and comfort into their lives. God is not silent, aloof, or absent. 
Thanksgiving will always testify that he is present in our darkness, and this present darkness cannot quench his life, his light. Finally, the activity of Thanksgiving is pastoral. There are seasons in our lives when our soul is paralyzed by despair, grief, and sadness. And during those seasons, we become isolated in our darkness. We're all going to have seasons like that. And Thanksgiving has a pastoral impact upon us. Something powerful occurs when the community around us extends its embrace and draws us into a wider context that allows for thanksgiving and loss to exist side by side. Thanksgiving sensitively expressed with the sorrowful reminds us that weeping may last for the night, but joy will and does and can come in the morning. Peter Gregg in his book, God on Mute, has this observation. Lamenting is more than a technique for venting emotion. It is one of the fruits of a deepening spiritual life that has learned to stand naked before God without shame or pretense. In fact, long before Gethsemane, Jesus himself had pronounced those who mourn blessed. Implicit in the statement, notes Walter Brueggemann, is that those who do not mourn will not be comforted, and those who do not face the endings will not receive the beginnings. Honest lament can express a vibrant faith, one that has learned to embrace life's hardships as well as its joy to lift everything, everything to the Father in prayer. As the author Richard Foster says of the lament psalms, they give us permission to shake our fist at God one moment and break into doxology or thanksgiving in the next. When we think about Thanksgiving, I think we so often focus on the food that we forget about the context. So on November 10th, 1620, 102 women, men, and children stepped off of the Mayflower into Plymouth Harbor. 102 people one young man died coming over, and a child was born. So they left with 102, they suffered one death, and they landed after 66 days with one baby. 102 women, men, youth, and children. By November the following year, there would only be 50. So within those 12 months, 52 men, women, and children died. So what was that first meal about? Because what we call from history's distance Thanksgiving, for them was an anniversary meal in which they came together on the anniversary of their arrival. But our popular conception of this party feast going on wasn't reality. It was a time in which they intentionally gathered together 50 survivors with grief fresh upon their minds and hearts, 
and they intentionally gathered to give thanks through tears on a land that was saturated with their grief, to give thanks, to be community, and share. That's why I like Thanksgiving so much. I wrote this uh, this week in my journal. This is why Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. It invites any and all to a feast where the community gathered can offer Thanksgiving while recognizing the personal losses of those gathered. On this day, reflection, remembrance, community mission, and the pastoral presence of God are welcome. On this day, the community gathered can have a voice that individuals scattered cannot. We are better together, and that alone is sufficient reason to lift up our voices with gratitude for this Thanksgiving day as we share this meal together. That idolized picture that we have of, of the Thanksgiving meal where everybody arrives already happy, that's a fantasy. An authentic Thanksgiving meal is where we can unconditionally give our thanks to the God who unconditionally loves us and cares for us and wants to make his presence known amidst our discouragedness, our discouragement, our hopelessness, our loss, our anxieties, while at the same time being able to freely celebrate with those who really are filled with joy and gratitude and thanksgiving for all the good things that have occurred within the previous year. Benji found this quote, uh, research has shown that practicing gratitude can reduce feelings of stress and anxiety. In fact, studies have found that a single act of thoughtful gratitude produces an immediate 10% increase in happiness and a 35% reduction in depressive symptoms. These effects disappeared within three to six months, which reminds us to practice gratitude over and over. Listen, I, I don't know whether this is a week of dread for you. I don't know whether it's going to be a week in which for reasons I don't know, your sense of loneliness and isolation are threatened to escalate. For others of us, we can't wait to rip into that turkey, overeat on the stuffing, and then continue that self-indulgence with the dessert that follows. In company that we are so grateful to be around, around laughter, games, football, hike, whatever. But in fact, the art of thanksgiving is that it's, it's not conditional. It can be the weakest whisper of, thank you, God, that in my darkness, you have found me. Doesn't mean the darkness goes away, it just means you've been found. Thanksgiving celebrates the God who finds us. In those moments that we've surrendered, when we've laid down, we've given up. 
And Thanksgiving is also an opportunity to give our thanks with the God who enjoys hilarity. If he didn't enjoy hilarity, he would never have fashioned us. And so the reality is gratitude, thanksgiving, is an exercise, it's a discipline, it's an opportunity, and it's an experience that the more conversant and commonplace this becomes in our lives, the more alive we become to him. And so as we close this morning, I simply want to invite you, whether for the first time, the tenth time, or a hundred, when people say, when did you come to Jesus, Mark? My answer is this morning. (laughs) Because when I read the scriptures, I look at the life of Peter, and if you say, like, when was Peter saved? You can say, well, he was saved when he surrendered and followed Jesus out of the boat. But then he denies Jesus. So, so when was Peter saved? When was Peter lost? When was Peter saved? When was Peter? I mean, you just drive yourself crazy. It, it's not about the day we were saved. It's about the day we entered into this walk of following Jesus, this journey of following Jesus, and this ultimate desire to want to surrender our lives in real time each and every day, not because I ticked a box in, this, in one summer decades ago, but because this morning I surrendered my life afresh. And as an expression of that surrender was the opportunity for Thanksgiving. So, Father, as we um, prepare to worship again this morning, we thank you. You're the God who laughs with us and rejoices in our rejoicing. And you're also the God whose tears flow in our mourning, who finds us in our anxiety, who discovers us when we are lost in our darkness. That whether we're on top of the world or feeling crushed within it, you are the God who comes alongside us. And so this morning as we close, I simply want to give you his invitation When he says, draw near to me, all of you who are heavy labored and heavy burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. No one in this room can give you rest like Jesus can. And so if that's the cry of your heart this morning, I'm gonna invite you to raise your hand, not so I can count you. You raising your hand this morning is just simply a hand of confession. Jesus, I'm over here. Come and lift my burdens and give me your rest. Here I am. And we raise our hands to him. 
that's you, I invite you to raise your hand and we will partner together. I see those hands. Amen. So, Father, we thank you, Lord, for every dear one that you desire to come alongside of this morning. Lift the burdens, dry the tears, and in Jesus' name, I pray and I know your rest will be given. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through his word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com.